Hey everyone, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Justin Ongchen. And I'm Vedant. Today we're sitting down with Linda Barry, who is most famously known for her works as an American cartoonist, writer, and teacher. She's also a MacArthur Fellow, Inkpot Award winner, and Eisner Award winner for her graphic novel, What It Is. She also created Ernie Pugs Comique, a successful comic series that ran from 1979 to 2008, and was published in over 70 alternative newspapers. So it's super exciting to have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's my favorite thing in the world to be around students. Yeah, it's like people with their minds actually open, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's super exciting to have a cartoonist here because um, we've, had, we've had a few writers here, but this is, this is definitely something new. Um, so I guess it's just to kick it off, out of all the other art forms, why did you decide to focus on honing your craft as a cartoonist specifically? Do you see a specific edge that cartoons have for expression? Well, cartoons are kind of one of the oldest ways of telling stories. I mean, we think we call it cartooning now, but it's basically line drawing, right? And one of the things I love about it is for people who gave up on drawing, most of most of us give up on drawing at about the age of eight when we realize we can't draw a nose mm-hmm. and that's it. It's over for you. Or can't I might be draw, one of those people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or can't draw hands. Mm-hmm. But... Um, before that, almost everybody drew, and it's it's a it's a, a a native language to almost all people until that self consciousness hits. Right. And what I found about comics was that. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of music because like in the same way music has melody and lyrics, mm-hmm. comics have drawing plus words. And when you put those two things together, you can tell any story. Um, and one of the most exciting things about comics right now is the most complicated troubling stories um, that we experience as human beings can be told in comics form. And um, Art Spiegelman, um, whose father was a survivor of the Holocaust, um, told the story of um, in, in a book called Mouse, the story of the Holocaust with cartoons, with comics. And that was a really groundbreaking book. At first, people would go, how dare you? How dare you tell the, the most horrible story this way? But when people read it, they saw that there was this way to transfer the experience. And I got very interested in the power of comics. And if I'm known for anything, it's for very sad, (laughs) sad comics about childhood. But this idea that this is an art form that isn't, isn't just funny, it again, it reminds me so much of music where you can have a song that makes you feel all kinds. I mean, songs can make you feel all kinds of ways. And music and music is so powerful. And, and if you can display that kind of feeling through comics, it's, it's extraordinary, right? And the reach you can have. I was wondering what the, the, maybe the hardest part about getting it right with comics is like what's in, in the journey when, when you're writing or drawing it. Um, the hardest part is believing you know what you're doing which is sort of of the hardest part of life, right? You know, um, but uh, uh, for instance, earlier today, I was working with a class here on campus. And um, one of the things I have them do is draw with their eyes closed. So for one minute, I have people draw, I just say, draw draw me a a fried egg breakfast with with your eyes closed with silverware and a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. 
and they close their eyes and they do it and they open their eyes and they go, wow, I can really, wow, because it looks fantastic. <laughs> then I have them close their eyes and draw a mermaid. And then they open their eyes and have a whole other experience like, oh, no, but you can tell it's a mermaid or the Statue of Liberty or all these things that you don't think you know how to draw. Um, it turns out you do if you close your eyes. If you open your eyes and try to draw, you'll argue with yourself, right? You'll say, that doesn't look like a mermaid or that doesn't look. And so you stop. So I'm interested in what happens when when I can bring drawing back into people's lives um, who've given up on it and also using it as a as not to make a beautiful painting or to become you know honored because uh, you're you're really good at drawing but to surprise yourself and to also change your mood one of the things about drawing with your eyes closed is um, when we all drew that mermaid as soon as everybody opens their eyes everybody starts laughing really hard What's that about? Like you just closed your eyes and wiggled a pen on a piece of paper and then you open it and the whole everybody starts laughing. <laughs> That's those are the ordinary superpowers, ordinary human superpowers that I'm very interested in. So to kind of like forego that subconsciousness that kind of keeps you all back to unlock your full potential. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or another word for that is play. <laughs> Playing play, around. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you were a kid when you drew, when little kids draw. There, the piece of paper is a place for an experience. Um, um, at a certain point, it becomes a thing, whether that's either good or bad. So what I'm trying to do is get people to see it again as a place for an experience. And um, this idea that you can just do it with a piece of paper and a pen, any D&D &D player knows that you can do, you can have entire worlds just with a piece of paper and some dice. What's that? I mean, that's like this amazing human ability. That's very inexpensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like I need to take a drawing class from you. <laughs> I wanted. To, I want you both to be in my drawing class. <laughs> but that kind of um, the human ability bit that kind of brings me to to like a burning question I had, which is creativity, because creativity is essential for drawing. And do you think? that it's something that people are born with in like equal amounts and that people like subconsciously restrict themselves from accessing? Or do you think it's something that needs to be like cultivated through hard work? And if so, where's the balance? I don't know that it can be cultivated through hard work, but I do think it can be cultivated. But I believe that we all have it. I mean, sometimes creativity gets mixed up with art. And actually creativity, if you think about it, you're about to go through a doorway and you have your books, your computer, your coffee, and somehow you're just able to figure out a way to hold them all and get out the door. You don't have to sit and plan it. And I feel like there is a, this thing that is creativity for all of us um, in the same way... <laughs> Like I said, it gets mixed up with art. So people will make a picture and it'll make maybe make them feel a certain way, but they don't like the way the picture looks, right? They don't like the way it looks. Mm -hmm. um, and I always say, well, if you think about creativity as being like uh, one of your major organs, like your liver, I don't like the way my liver looks. I, I mean, I don't think it's that cute, mm -hmm. But I'd really be in trouble without it, right? So there's something about this other way of looking at a way of engaging with the world that isn't so much about profit loss, profit loss, mm -hmm. you know, um, am I moving toward my potential? And it, it goes back to 
the way we are as children, particularly little kids. I mean, really little kids. If you think about it, most people who've given up on singing, dancing, all the things we call the arts, will do that with a with a with a two year old or a one year old. Um, and they'll sing to the one-year-old. They'll draw with them. If you have um, little um, siblings or whatever, you'll find yourself playing with them. Um, and I'll say, well, why do you think you're able to do that with little kids but not on your own? And somebody will say, well, kids aren't judgmental. And I'm like, yeah, they are. Try handing them the wrong color mug, right? But, um, but what happens is, that language, singing, dancing, all of that, that's our first language. And I think that that's the language language is based on, this use of images, which is creative. I mean, nobody teaches a little kid to turn a blanket or a toy into a character that it makes the difference of whether they're going to be able to sleep or not. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. <laughs> nobody taught them how to do that. Yeah. And, um, so, and then at some point, we lose it. Yeah. Um, and... We long for it. That's the part that's interesting that I'm studying, which is why people who've given up on this stuff still would love to have the power to do it. Do you, you think know? it's more we lose it or that we've like created a perception that we don't have it and that's what it is? I think you, <laughs> yeah, I think you nailed it. It's creating a perception that we don't have it. And also there's a weird social pressure. Like, why are you drawing if you're not going to try to pursue something in the arts? Or why are you drawing something that just, I don't know why, I mean, that, that I don't find that very attractive. There's a shame in it, you know? It's almost like unless you are really good at it at a certain age, it's almost like you don't have the right to do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is strange. It's really strange to cut off this thing that might be actually making it so that the the thing that you're studying, the thing that you want to apply your life to, maybe using this other stuff might make you better at that, you know? I don't know for sure, but it seems to. Seems like and also happiness is important. Turns out it's important. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, discovery and intuition doesn't happen when you're miserable and, and tense. I mean, it's sort of like somebody yelling, relax! You know how people will do that? Just relax, man! Yeah, I mean, yeah. it doesn't work, <laughs> you know? So then do you think that, like, creativity is some sort of biological need or in, yes. in, in some, sense, some sense it's really linked to happiness and, and fulfillment and, you know, gratitude and just... A feeling like, of aliveness. Exactly. Self-actualization yeah. in life. Yeah. And, you know, how, like, what, what would you say some general practices to kind of cultivate that creativity or even more specifically, what, what do you do that works for you to really unlock that creativity when writing? Well, it's, it's all about engagement. Um, and again, a lot of uh, what I come back to, and it's especially since I started, I, I'm a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And um, when I started to teach, that's when you learn the most mm -hmm. about, uh, about teaching. And um, one of the things that I started to think about was that our relationship with images or creativity um, are kind of like our external organs or our immune system. And if you think about, because I do think that every person is born with it and has to have it. Um, but if you think about it, um, you know, you were born into a world that's full of characters, right? 
Chewbacca was here when you guys were born, right? Chewbacca was here. And Chewbacca will be here after you're gone, uh, is my guess. Um, And what's wild is kids who get attached to characters, maybe there were characters like Pokemon. People love Pokemon, like really getting attached to different characters. And you think about how there's this whole world of these characters that in a funny way take care of us. Um, it's the magic of it. Yeah, or like superheroes or all this. So it's it's as if like while we're living our real lives in the non-fictional world, there's this big fictional world that we're a part of that, that means a lot to us. 100%. It's like the imagination. The other day I was reading this this fantasy novel by Brandon Sanderson, like huge fan of him. Um, and like I really enjoy this, the, his Mistborn series. And after reading it, I started like making connections between like some like ideals of, of his book with, with, you know, my current reality or like certain fictional characters traits and seeing them in, in other people. And it was, it was just really cool seeing that, that connection. And it's wild because it sits, it's just sitting in a book. The yeah. book's just there, right? But it's a formula for an experience. And when you're reading it, something happens to you. Mm-hmm. And that to me is so fascinating, like trying to imagine the world without it. You know, it's it would well. We I think, I think mental health is so tied with this stuff, and as students, you all are being pushed uh, by all kinds of forces to figure out what you want to do and how to make a living, right. like how to make a living. How am I going to make a living? Because. For the first time, you're really, really, really going to have to do it. You know, I mean, so there. while you're getting pushed toward that, it's really easy to discount that experience that you just described of reading that book or some some fantasy world or whatever kind of um, play or character that you like. It's really easy to discount that. And then the problem is, you know, when you look at adults and you kind of feel sorry for them, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I'm an adult, but you know what I mean? You go, God, please don't let me ever end up like that. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's how you end up like that. You end up (laughs) like that by just like, I must make a living and I must do well. And you you get into that. And that's also, if you think about all these hero stories, this is the story that's told over and over again, right? You have some magic. You lose the magic, everything looks like it's going to go to hell, and then somehow you either get it or you don't. Or if you look at the characters in a story where the villain never changes, right? Mm -hmm. The villain just stays the same, but the main character goes through all these changes. So that's your task right now i mean it's it's as big as something epic as that for each because we only have one life i mean well i have several but (laughs) you guys only have one so it's a really big question it's a really interesting thing and i feel for students because of that pressure that's a great way of looking at it kind of just thinking about how you know you can be you may be a, perhaps a fictional character in a book where you can really achieve that full hero's journey and go all the way around and, and not be that, what you said, maybe that villain who kind of just stays, stays the same the entire yeah. the entire time. So it's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting how like embracing your creativity has so much to do with like dealing with the stresses of the world, like do things that seem so unrelated. But That is such a good point because I would argue 
getting back to that story of a somehow a baby managing to turn a piece of cloth into a character that that allows them to be able to sleep or handle transitions it's because of stress that character yeah. came about because there was a need for it mm-hmm. For me, Chewbacca came about because there was a need for Chewbacca. <laughs> you know, um, so so it's really when you get right down to it, it's really fascinating. And that human beings, no matter how happy of a life you may have, um, human beings always run into trouble. Your mm-hmm. trouble's part of our. It's part of our destiny. Exactly. Yeah. So. I think that this stuff, if we look at what creativity does, what it is, it's one of the means of dealing with trouble. Yeah, it's being an imaginative way of dealing with trouble. And if you think about being in middle school, which is when most people begin to get attached to music in a way that is like you need it. You need, and just before you're so young, you don't know you can wear a song out. So you just play it over and over again. And when it's not playing, it's still playing in your head. That's about stress. That's about yeah. going through a big transition. Yeah. And where do and we so the saddest part about growing up is forgetting to be able to reach for that kind of stuff, to lose your relationship with music, you know? And how how do we how do you suggest we kind of channel this our creativity through practices? I've heard um, like I listened to this, this neuroscience podcast and he was he, um, he was talking about how, you know, like in the early, when you just wake up early morning hours, well like, okay, when you just wake up, maybe you're pretty creative, but then at like 9, 10, 11 a.m., let's just say you kind of, you're really good at like, like accounting, for example, or very just numbers oriented, or very just kind of like, this is objective and this is not very creative things, but however, maybe like later on in the day, like 4 or 5 p.m. when you get like a little tired, and when, you know, then that's where the creativity settles in. Would you say that that is true? And are there any other methods that you, you would suggest to unlock that creativity? Well, I think what you just identified was the work, the working day, right? Mm-hmm. So it's we wake up and there's there's no boss or teachers. Nobody's there. A lot of us, though, bring that wake up with the stress right away. Oh, I have all this stuff to do. But what you you just described was an impingement of the needs of the of the day of the daily of daily life so there is this real um and, and i'm i'm a total neuroscience hag so interesting. i'm just so interested in and i'm really interested in hemispheric differences mm-hmm. um which uh first you know became kind of pop psychology in the 60s after they did the first uh there was an uh an so we have two sides of the brain, right? And there's a, a band of fibers that connect them called the corpus callosum. That's what people thought that's how the two hemispheres communicated. But what they found when they uh, cut the corpus callosum, they did that for people who had intractable epilepsy. And it's like, you don't really want to go in there and do that. But it really helped these people be able. What they found was that there were almost two selves. Um, and one has a broader focus Mm-hmm. And one has a more um, more minute or uh, uh, a focus that is looking at objects out of context. And all um, all living beings that we know about have divided brains. And so birds are a perfect way to show the two um, uh, the two ways of paying attention to the world. So um, your right hemisphere, left eye, that's the big, 
focus. Um, so birds have to have a way, because their eyes are on the sides of their heads, they have to have a way of being able to look at the ground and tell the difference between seeds and grit, and at the same time, not get eaten by a hawk. <laughs> so if you watch them, and actually, if you know any birds, you can, t you can take, um, you can, um, you can tell what they're thinking of you depending on which eye <laughs> they're looking at. But, but this is what you're talking about. It's to look at the world in pieces, which we sometimes need to do, or to see it as this whole thing. 100%. Yeah. So that's what you're talking about is when you're seeing it as a whole or when the day impinges and you have to look at it. Yeah, you have to fragment it. Yeah, and both are very important. You have to be able to do both. Yeah, I mean, I hate to move away from such a wonderful discussion, and I hate that this has to be the last question. But um, on a more like grim note, do you think AI is ever going to reach a point where it can mimic creativity? Well, AI is already doing that. Um, you know, you've seen Wally or those the the AI that you can just give it a couple um, a couple of words and it'll make a painting Dolly, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dolly, that's yeah. it, not Wally, Dolly. <laughs> um, but I don't think AI can recognize or need creativity. So we've made AI, and AI can kind of do this stuff, but it doesn't have the physical need, just like it doesn't need calcium. AI doesn't need um, vitamin D, you know, it doesn't need, so it doesn't, so we can look at something that can sort of make something for us, but not need it. However, in the science fiction world, in the world of fantasy, mm -hmm. AI can do that. Right. <laughs> the singularity, right? That's a concept that we, that we all think about. So, yeah, but it's, but those are two different things. There's the real world, and then there's this image world, which, and they're both very, very real. That's probably the single best response I've ever got <laughs> to that question. <laughs> that, that was very unique. Thank you. I haven't heard that response. So. Well, I wish yeah. I could take yeah. you both to Wisconsin <laughs> and have you in my class. <laughs> maybe we'll we'd visit have a, We'd have a very yeah. good time. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Um, thank you again, Linda, for joining us. Um, and to all our listeners, remember to stay hungry.